The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. Welcome to episode number 77 of the LSR Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gambling industry. With me, Dustin Galker, Adam Candy. You can follow them on Twitter, and you should, at Dustin Galker, at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. If you despise yourself, you can follow me at Matt Brown M2. We're on all the places that you get your podcasts, so please go in, subscribe, rate, and review. Do appreciate that a ton. We're going to talk about Tennessee, our newest state that is up and running, what happened with the election and sports betting. Some good, some bad. But let's go ahead and kick off uh, this thing here with, you know, look, election betting. And it is a very big thing. We have talked about that it is legal overseas. And so it is something that we, you know, it's not like we're we're totally gray market here. It is legal overseas and, and it is getting an incredible amount of action. We are seeing the numbers come out of, you know, places like Betfair and stuff like that, saying that this could be the biggest wagered event, single event of all time for them. And we know that there were hundreds of millions of dollars just at Betfair alone that got matched in that exchange over there as far as getting action down on the elections. And so Dustin, one of the things that happened, which was fairly interesting throughout the course of all this, of course, Joe Biden goes in as over a two to one favorite. Then throughout the course of the evening, as the results start to come in, the numbers start going absolutely haywire and changing literally by the minute. It was the craziest thing. Like in every five minute increment, these numbers started going nuts. And you and I offline were, were kind of talking and we were like, what is, what is really going on with all this? And I think we got some kind of clarity here into the election betting market and maybe that it's not the most efficient. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you and I and Adam and probably a lot of you were watching election results come in and Florida was the one was the state that was getting results in earlier. It was leading uh, heavily Trump, uh, not Biden. Biden was went into it, I think, as a favorite probably to win Florida. Polls had him up slightly, but within the margin of error. And that started moving money, a lot of money on the Trump, probably both casuals and sharps, just from what we see on Twitter of sharps uh, talking about their action and what they were doing. So there was a lot of, yeah, that started, that started the trend of Mm -hmm. moving toward uh, betting on Trump. And then we had, you know, we had early, early results in in states that have now been declared for Biden, like uh, 
uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. Those looked good for Trump early on as well. So just money came, came flooding on. It was up to like what minus 700, I think, is the best price. We the biggest price we saw on Trump uh, to win uh, during the night. And then obviously all that got started getting clawed back as 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 results started becoming known. And what's wild to me, and as we do all of this, is that we kind of knew this was going to happen. Right. This blue shift in the mail voting and all of this. We didn't know exactly how it was going to play out, but we knew that the in-person voting that could be that was going to be counted more quickly would be would be heavily Republican. That's the way everybody was talking about that in the weeks then leading up to it. So it's there is a big disconnect between the reality that we are going to get with the election and what people were betting and how they were betting it. And obviously, I think most most of betting Twitter and and, and just gamble, people who are gamblers were looking at the results in real time, thinking they had something and they had nothing. And it was, it was very interesting to see watch play out in real time as as we see odds, we see people talking about betting on it. And it was it was a really interesting night from the betting perspective. So, Adam, I got into Well, Dustin and I both did kind of got into a little bit of a conversation. We 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 quickly hopped out because it doesn't seem like it was absolutely really worth it. But talking about there were a bunch of people who were talking about, no, 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 the election betting market is efficient. And I was like, no, I think you're confusing popular with efficient. Like they kept talking about how much money was into the, was into the market. And I'm like, yeah, okay. It's, it's a one, the lead in has been a year. So, I mean, like this has been taking action forever for one thing as, as far as the amount of money that goes in. And then two, there's a very big difference between something being popular to bet on and being efficient. And I think when we what we saw play out and there was still defense of the market being efficient, but in no way, shape or form does anything sway nine dollars one way or the other. And, you know, based off of limited information and ever be considered an efficient market. And, and you know, if you want to take this back to like a football analogy, what was going on? And Adam, you have a, a bigger you know, insight into this coming from the political world as anybody. But it's basically like you were betting in game and the the team is on their own five yard line and they completed a three yard pass. But since it was a three yard, <laughs> but since it was a completion, you instantly jump in and start betting that team, even though they have 98 yards still to go and whatever. It was like every little tiny bit of news was causing a reaction in this market. And that is not an efficient market. That is people just betting off of very limited information without any sort of expertise. So let me take that analogy and twist it around just a little bit and say that limited information was only if you jumped in on election night. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who has followed not only this election, but previous elections, then you knew right from the start the way this game was going to be scored, right? If we're going to use the football analogy, we knew that one team was going to go ahead by halftime. But we also knew that come the second half, the other team was going to have like twice as many mm -hmm. players on it as the other as the first team. And they were going to have a pretty good chance to come from behind. Like the idea of Republicans voting on Election Day is not just this year. Uh, right. E-Day e voters have been Republican for a very long time. So if you want to talk about an in-game market, there was not efficiency in this market in large part because people did not use the available information to inform right. their bets, right? This was a lot of blind betting based on what they were seeing right in front of them at the moment. And 
uh, you know, to go behind the curtain a little bit, you and I were texting a little bit on election night. And I kind of made an analogy to say, look here, you know, if you see that the range of outcomes based on a spread is, you know, X to mm-hmm. Y, you know, we're leaning one direction right now, but there are a lot of points that are still going to be scored. And, you know, we kind of got to the point where we're saying, yeah, I don't think these markets have it right right now, because that's just the way that it tends to play out uh, in these elections. So point being, uh, I don't believe that the markets were at all efficient. Yeah. Uh, and I would argue that point with just about anyone who wants to bring it up in large part because the same people who use 20 years of NFL historical data to inform their models some of these very smart, very respected people in terms of Twitter, I actually saw one of them out there say, oh, this is over at about eight mm-hmm. o'clock Pacific time. <laughs> right. Sorry. No, no. Right. And, and, and Dustin, going back to the efficiency standpoint here is like, OK, if a football line comes out and let's say, quote unquote, bad line or a line that, you know, a lot of these people who are very good and sharp sports bettors disagree with. They have ha- they have a model where it has been it, where it has been spit out where they understand what they believe the number to be. And when that number is off, that is what shapes these football lines. That's what shapes that market. And that is what makes these things so incredibly efficient. Well, what is going on in the election is basically you're going off other people's information. You're going off of the polls, which have proven to be incredibly inaccurate so far throughout the course of this. So basically you are forming an opinion based off of one limited information and somebody else's information in this as well. So there's, I can only imagine, and I'm not speaking for everybody out there. So there's going to be somebody listening to this and they're going to send me an angry tweet and be like, I do have my own election model. I believe you. I'm just saying, for the most part, you're going off of information that you're getting from other people when this when all this stuff is being put out, which we have found to be pretty grossly inaccurate now in two straight presidential elections. And so the efficiency standpoint here, I don't really think has a leg to stand on because we're talking about something. And I think people are really, really confusing. That's one kind of fun to bet on. Two, just really super popular to bet on. And three, that the amount of money does not mean that the market itself is actually completely efficient. Yeah. And you can make an argument that it was maybe it was efficient before election day because it had Biden, we had mm. Biden at a two to one favorite most places. Right. That seems reasonable. It's probably that's probably more in line than to the than the, you know, one to nine favorite that that five thirty eight and some other uh, poll aggregators mm. had as terms of his chances. So there's that it, it became wildly inefficient and, and irrational on election night. Totally. And I, I, you know, I tweeted this, we talked about it, but to, in order to effectively model what was going to happen on election night, you'd have to have so much data. Right. You'd have to have basically what's going into the decision desks at a CNN or Washington post, New York times, five thirty eight, whatever. You'd have to have that data coming into you in real time, less than, you know, the same time that all the news outlets mm-hmm. are getting and be able to then digest that information and turn it into actionable intel. Even at that, you know, beyond that, you could even, again, you could know what we are talking about, what Adam and I are talking about here, just know the makeup of how the voting was going to come in. You could have known that and and ab- absolutely arbed the market and said, this is this mm-hmm. Trump number is wildly out of base. We know that these numbers are going to change. Anyway, it was it was it really was people watching in real time, looking at the results right. and saying, 
this is this is what I think is going to happen, and ba- based on nothing other than just the results that you're seeing on TV right. or on your website, whatever right? news channel they were watching, yeah, yeah, whatever news channel they were watching at the time, you'd get an update every five minutes, and then every five minutes we start seeing the line just go absolutely crazy. So they are literally just reacting off of information that everybody else has as well, and then the steam starts happening. And Adam, this is something you know we see in sports very rarely that it's going to move, you know. Steam can move a, a a line, a point or something or whatever. Like we didn't never see this type of, of, of gigantic spread that happened. And I think a lot of that was steam as well is like somebody hears a news report and they go, oh, no, this doesn't look good. Bet, 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 bet. And then somebody sees that line start to move and then they go, oh, my God, what do they know that I don't know? And then they start betting. And again, that's why I'm saying that it's not efficient, because I think there's just a lot of people chasing at what everybody else is doing. I think it's just a lot of sheep kind of mentality where it's like. Uh oh, lines moving. I must not know something. I must be on the wrong side. Come in, click, 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 click. And it was happening over and over and over again. So, you know, I mean, not to belabor the point here, but it was it was just shocking to me that there were people out there who I consider to be super, super, super smart in the, the betting industry who were saying like, oh, no, these these election betting markets are are super efficient when you're drawing off of not not really any information that can be incredibly validated because as we found like exit polls don't mean anything these polls beforehand really didn't show the accurate picture of who was turning out and which way they were going to go and all that so we were kind of i'm not going to say throwing darts but it was uh it was a very educated guess more than anything else All right. So you've now four times said that the polls were grossly inaccurate, and I'm going to give you 100 percent pushback on that. Uh, (laughs) The polls actually are right within just about one standard deviation right now. Um, If you look at what they had, the national average was running about Biden plus eight. Uh, So that's just basically popular vote margin across the country. By the time we count everything, it's probably going to come in around Biden plus five. we're pretty well working within the margin. Well, there. I'm not and talking about the overall. I'm talking like state to state. I mean, like 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 Wisconsin was supposedly 14 to 17 points up for for Biden. You know, the 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 Susan. No, that was one poll, Matt. I mean, there was there was one poll that showed 14 to 17. The, it wasn't the Susan Collins district. Near, near the Susan margin. Collins district didn't have a single poll that had her winning winning that at all. I mean, there there were a lot. Susan, Su- yeah, Maine had a lot of ticket splitters in terms of uh, in terms of people who voted one way for president and one way for Senate. I mean, there, there we could argue this yeah. over and over again, but let me get to something else that you said um, that I think illustrates this point accurately. Right. Dustin talked about Trump, I uh, should say Biden being two to one favorite prior. Right. So when we adjust that to, let's say, football numbers, right, and make that sort of NFL numbers, you're working around four or five points there, right? You're working around a four or five point margin. Um, now you move it out to what was the top that we talked about? Almost, uh, you know, yeah, seven you could to get, one. Trump, uh, Trump had gotten to minus point. 700. Biden was like in the mid plus fives. So like you were getting over five. Yeah, you're, to one. you're over two. You're over yeah. two touchdowns at that point, right? Like you, you've moved into territory of an assured favorite and there was nothing at all to support that. And you don't have to necessarily have even had what Dustin was saying, you could, you know, you don't have to have real time county level feeds coming into mm-hmm. a model to know that you have to know that 2016 uh, was not necessarily repeatable because what was happening to a lot of people, in my opinion, is that they saw a repeat where the polls had put Biden slightly ahead in Florida and they saw Florida coming home for Trump in the end. And 
then they thought, well, that'll play out the way it has everywhere. Well, let me take you inside that for a second. Why did it play out the way that it did in Florida? It played out that way in Florida in large part because of a large Cuban and Central and South American population that swung toward Trump. Well, that was different than what happened in 2016. It was largely a white population swinging to Trump in ways that wasn't expected. That made it repeatable in the upper Midwest. That made it repeatable in Michigan and Wisconsin and other places in 2016. That was not the case at all uh, in terms of even the initial data that we had coming in. I mean, by seven o'clock, by the first results coming in, we had information that Miami-Dade County, the Cuban vote was going to be strongly in favor of Trump. Well, there's not that same level of Cuban vote in the upper Midwest. So I don't necessarily even think that people were operating at an information deficit. I think they were out of their own markets. They were out of what they're used to. Oh, for sure. And the information was there if you wanted to use it. The information absolutely was there. I mean, you you texted me at one point during the night and asked what was going on. And I thought and, and I thought to myself, I wish we had legal markets on this oh. because <laughs> I, I'd be making a trust fortune me right when now. it when it got to plus when it got to plus five bucks, it was that was like, I wish I had I wish I lived in Europe and had 10K in my account right now. Like, like that was like <laughs> that. That was that was the ultimate betting opportunity. Uh, There's no doubt about it, which is a good segue into this, right? So we are talking about European markets. We are talking about offshore markets here. We're not talking about markets that are available in the United States. We still do not have election betting. And basically, you know, I think at this point, there's going to be a pretty big groundswell to get at least some sort of movement towards it with a, a lot more players involved now. And then when these numbers are finalized, Adam, it's going to be, it's already staggering, but like when we get the final, final reports on these things, it is going to be unbelievable how much money was changing hands here. And so basically the question is, should we have it? Because this is a Super Bowl level plus event that is getting all of the money elsewhere as opposed to here. And we keep talking over and over again. We say, Hey, the reason there's legal markets, let's keep the money here. Let's do the, you know, let's keep the tax dollars here. Let's get the jobs going, like all the things like that. And we're letting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars get done on this elsewhere. What is your opinion on election betting in general? And what do you think that the thoughts are moving forward from a, from a legality standpoint? Just to put some numbers to what you're talking about, I mean, Betfair's conservative estimates are going to be yeah. half a billion dollars on this. And that's before we start talking about the illegal offshore markets. And, you know, you could probably easily, easily add another 500 million to that and get to a billion dollar event here and say that you're looking at potentially the largest bet on event every four years that you'll ever see. It could just keep growing and growing and growing. There are going to be calls for it in the United States, right? Anyone who is potentially legalizing and looking at tax revenue is going to say this is already happening and we should allow Americans the opportunity to do it legally here. And I could not disagree more. I am 100 percent against the idea of election betting by the residents of one country on their own election. Uh, the idea of voting is based on voting your preference, your conscience, your ideals, your values, whatever it might be. It is not based on voting your idea of how you can make money on someone. And I think the the ability for the vote to essentially be manipulated to the markets in some way. Uh, look, I'm not talking about one person having that sort of influence. I'm talking about 
when people don't have a real feeling for something voting a certain way because they think it'll make them a dollar or two when it could eventually affect the country the way that any presidential election has the ability to affect the country. I have no problem with being able to bet on elections that you cannot directly vote in, but elections that we can vote in, I could not be more opposed. So uh, Dustin, I'll ask you the same question, but Adam, this is actually a change of opinion for me. I actually had a mea culpa like through all of this because (laughs) I, I always thought I'm like, listen, it's happening anyway. I've kind of went the same direction. I've gone with a lot of this stuff, right? Like, Hey, it's happening anyway, and it's going to happen anyway. We might as well go ahead and make it legal here. But then the more that I really, you know, came around and started to look at this, just like you said, someone is going to start voting, not based off of any principles or ideals or any kind of anything at all. They're just going to bet the underdog because we know people don't bet favorites, right? They're just going to bet the underdog at plus money. And then they're going to go vote for that guy because they want to help their cause like somewhere along the way to try to make money. So what we have here is possibly a lesser qualified candidate who comes in at plus money because they're the underdog and uh, someone that, that that looks like they're going to lose the election because maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't have, they're not qualified. Maybe they're, you know, not as popular or whatever it might be, but there's a guy who wants to turn his, who wants to turn his hundred into 300. And the next thing you know, he goes and votes and then someone else does the same thing. Someone else does the same thing. So I really did. I actually came around on this in the last three days. I was always very, very, very in on the idea of election betting strictly from the aspect of, Hey man, look, it's happening. We might as well go ahead and, and reap the benefits of it. But then when you think at the underlying, at what underlying cost, and, and that is kind of where I've, I've changed my opinion. So I've actually come around as well. Dustin, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I'll come in from more of a pragmatic point of view, too. Like, I just don't see it happening. Honestly, we saw we, we talked about it on this podcast uh, a long time ago when it happened in West Virginia and the backlash that happened when regulators said, yes, we're going to have re- betting. And then everybody involved in government is like, what mm-hmm. the heck are you doing? You can't do this. And that's not even to mention uh, pro- possible problems with the federal law. They're not, we're not going to change federal law to specifically allow election betting. That's not going to happen. So. I don't, I, the only part, the only point that I, I come at it from is, yeah, it's a big, this is a win for offshores, right? This yeah. is, I had people uh, across Twitter and even outside of Twitter, people I know from back home in Pennsylvania, like talking about betting markets and we're talking Bovada, Bet Online, Bet Chris, all these, all these sites are not getting the UK ones. They're getting the ones that you can see here in the US and who are promoting it. And that's, that's the, I guess the shame of it, but I, I, I agree. I, I just don't want to see election betting and maybe we're all prudes about it, but I, I, I do think there's a, it's weird. And I don't, I don't really want, I don't want to bet on it either. I, I just have no desire to have betting on it myself. Just personally, I, I, I do wish there was some way to stop the you know, offshores from getting all the publicity from it, but yeah. It is what it is. And I don't I think the other part of it is you just you just don't we don't copy everything that offshores do. Right. Yes, Mm -hmm. they can offer these things that we can, although we saw candy eating contests in some legal markets in the U.S. that you could bet on uh, crazily. But we did. Yeah. Not every single thing that offshores do. And this. Yes, it was a big event from a betting perspective. Uh, so, you know, one offshore said it was bigger than the Super Bowl for them, which, you know, great. That's that's not a ton. I mean, still, the Super Bowl is a big acquisition Mm -hmm. point. A lot of money comes through. You know, sports with the United States will survive without election yeah. betting with the millions of other things that you can bet on legally and that are actually sports. And 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 Adam, I think to kind of put a bow on this, look, it's it's every four years. It's not like it's every single year. So we're not shipping a billion dollars 
out of out the door every single year, you know? And so, you know, to me, I, I, like Dustin said, maybe we're prudes a little bit. I don't know, but I don't think the juice really is worth the squeeze. And I know bookmakers would tell me otherwise because they want the action. I get it. And listen, this is the world we live in as well. So we can't have it all. If the offshores, if this is where they, if they, if they rake in the money every four years on these elections, whatever, so be it. Right. I mean, like I, I'm not going to to fault them for doing what they do. It is a, it is a, it is a really good way for them to, to make money every four years. So, you know, good on you that you're able to do that. But um, yeah, I'm with you. And again, this is a, this is a very new opinion for me. So I've only had about 72 hours to really kind of d- 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 <laughs> dial in w- the way I feel about this, but um but yeah, just kind of seeing how this this is all played out and how kind of crazy this could be and how razor thin some of these decisions could be. Do we want decisions being made in certain states because a few thousand extra people decided to show up because they want to chase their twenty five dollar parlay or, you know, what I'm saying? it's just it doesn't seem to me kind of like the quote unquote American way. So let me add to that with the idea of voter fraud. We see all these baseless. And when I say baseless, I mean 100% without any evidence, not true in the slightest claims being thrown out there about Mm. voter fraud. It would only take a few of them to change the perception of that in the mainstream. You want to find something that's going to lead to the perception of integrity issues? Make it the fact that we can legally bet on the election. Make it the fact that people can make money on this. That would absolutely be a way to do this. To make a second point to the offshore idea, could there be a more natural case for the federal government, at least in one instance, to truly step in when it comes to offshores? Right. If, if there's one moment where the federal government could say we're going to at least rattle cages a little bit on the idea of accepting bets from the US illegally, this could be it. Like this would be the way. Offshore doesn't necessarily have to be pitted against the legal market when it comes to this. Like offshore could be told, even if they decide Mm -hmm. to ignore it, they could be told that there is potential enforcement to come against them for this. So uh, we said all along that the offshore market is going to have a place. Uh, This might end up being its Mm -hmm. place uh, in, in a way that the legal market should not keep up with. So one of the other things that came out of election day outside of all the stuff that we just talked about is we do have some people that were on the ballot, people in Louisiana, people in South Dakota, people in Maryland that were voting on whether they wanted sports betting to happen within their state. Dustin, we know that the Louisiana vote was going to be parish to parish, uh, not the same for Maryland. And then it seems there's a, a, one specific place in South Dakota, which then opens up to uh, some of the, the Indian casinos up there, but how did everything turn out and, and what is the uh, future for those three States? Uh, It was a good night for sports betting. The three States that we were tracking, they all passed referendums that uh, would legalize sports betting, Maryland, Louisiana, and South Dakota. Uh, There's work to be done on the, on the, obviously the two bigger States there. We have Maryland just changed their constitution. They have to come back in the new year and uh, pass enabling legislation and regulation. So they, they, they look like they'll probably do that, but the, they still have to do that. So it's not like, 
were on the clock for Maryland sports betting. Uh, Louisiana, much the same. Parish by parish, we have 55 of 64 parishes that said, yes, they have to go back and and, and get this ready and what, what it looks like in Louisiana. Uh, South Dakota, pretty pretty minor, but still obviously still a win when we have more sports betting. Uh, you can go to the town of Deadwood and uh, and bet on retail locations in Deadwood if you if you ever have a reason to be in South Dakota and go gamble. So that that's what we have. Uh, obviously, we are expanding. It's great to see the expansion of states and you know just more generally like gaming measures across the board. Uh, we're, we're we're passing. We got Nebraska casinos. We got the 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 four referendums in cities in, in Virginia. The casinos are coming. The basically, I mean, we're basically to the world to the world where there's no more the moral opposition to gambling. It seems kind of gone, right? We're we're just passing gambling legislation, yeah. gambling referendum and legislations willy nilly everywhere we go. Uh, but yes, the the bottom line, sports betting uh, coming to several of those states, and uh, obviously more legislation coming in 2021. And Adam, I mean, without we understand that the, the Louisiana law as it is right now is not going to allow for mobile, but let me say this though: it is still a pretty massive win for that state and a pretty big hit onto Mississippi. There were a massive amount of people driving over from New Orleans over to bet in Biloxi. I've talked to the sportsbook director down there to a couple of different ones who said they estimate that it may be even as high as, as during football season, as high as a third of all their bets coming from people from Louisiana, specifically the New Orleans area. We know that there's casinos in New Orleans. There will be sports betting in New Orleans. So that money will be staying home. Then the other thing, Shreveport in Northwest Louisiana is a two and a half hour drive from Dallas and Lake Charles in Southwest Louisiana is about a two hour drive from Houston. So not only are you keeping money in state in New Orleans, you are now bringing over Texas money from Dallas and from Houston, the two biggest cities in that state. It's a pretty, pretty big thing that I think is flying under the radar here for Louisiana is not only are you gaining any new people that would bet you're keeping money at home in one city and you're gaining all of this new traffic because the only reason Shreveport has a bunch of casinos is because of Dallas. The only reason Lake Charles has a bunch of casinos is because of Houston. So you are going to see those guys come over. And I think Louisiana might put up some pretty interesting numbers until, you know, things kind of shake out nationally. Okay. Cover your ears for this part. If you don't want to hear it right now, if I could go to Louisiana and bet an LSU football over, I absolutely <laughs> would because Bo Pelini's defense is just this a is cash true. register, but sorry, sorry. Yeah. I had to. Um, yeah. I think the idea of Texas has definitely been underplayed thus far, even by us. Uh, Texas has been thought of as one of the four Holy grails that's out there in terms of sports betting, New York, California, Texas, and Florida. And we see that Texas is probably not going to have any legislative momentum to legalize sports betting anytime soon. So that certainly makes a big difference in terms of Louisiana. Now, keep in mind, you're probably not looking at actually being able to legally bet on sports until closer to 2022 in Louisiana, because the legislature still has to come back and pass a taxation mechanism uh, and some other enabling rules to make it happen. And as we saw with the DFS vote two years ago, uh, <laughs> that is not necessarily a sure thing uh, to happen immediately. So, you know, uh, mobile won't be completely out of the question. You know, the, the legislature will still have some say mm -hmm. in terms of that. But we see those referenda pass. And I think the other big one to keep in mind, uh, as Dustin said, was Virginia. 
uh, because getting those physical casinos increases the likelihood of more applicants for sports betting in Virginia, which will start early next year. And we already saw uh, there have been numerous applicants in Virginia. The state hasn't uh, told us quite yet, but uh, it, definitely a good day for sports betting across the U.S. on Tuesday. Yeah, my uh, my friends back home were sending me were, were sending me, you know, the the I voted and they basically were like, yeah, I voted. And the proudest thing that I pushed, it was, like, wasn't even for president. It was like it yeah. was for, for yes on on sports betting. So they were very happy to be able to uh, to hit that yes button on that. Um, Adam, we talked about that we were getting a new state actually going live, not just voted into uh, into legalization, but actually going live. And that happened this past weekend. State of Tennessee finally pushed its button on going live almost a year and a half after passing legislation to make it legal uh, began on Sunday. Uh, You had four operators, three of whom were big national operators going in, turning their apps on live. And by every uh, account that we've heard went pretty well, uh, fairly smoothly, not a huge, not a lot of problems when it came to launch, uh, v- widely reported. And I still think it's hilarious that the very first bet placed in Louisiana was for a dime <laughs> an actual 10 cents. Uh, I mean, in Tennessee, I should say was for an actual 10 cents, not uh, a dime in sports betting parlance. So we have three more applicants in the pipeline right now for Tennessee. Uh, It's an online only market. One of the big fears was that because of this strange 10% minimum hold rule, that the pricing might be significantly off right from the start. We didn't see that. Now, keep in mind that the minimum hold rule won't kick in until early next year, but we did not at least initially see any of those worst case scenarios coming true. Dustin, I guess one of the, uh, we were sitting here celebrating everything that happened on election day, but maybe one of the things wasn't so incredibly good. What was the news out of Ohio? Yeah, so Ohio, we, we I think we've been reporting on this in, in the podcast that Ohio was trending really positively in terms of what was going to happen in, and whether it would get to the finish line uh, here in this lame duck session that they passed something. Uh, you know, everything we've been hearing has been has been pretty optimistic that something would get done. Here, election day rolls around. We we learned that two of the sponsors of the bills have been uh, are getting voted out of office. <laughs> a third one, another another important one, is was term limited and also leaving. So that that raises the stakes in the short term of getting this through. That if we have the people who are carrying the water for the legislation out, if we don't get it done in the lame duck session here uh, over the next several months, next couple of months, then maybe we're looking at a problem and a longer horizon for Ohio to get it done. We'll see. There we also had another. A draft of uh, of the bill which was not necessarily great for operators fewer skins we were at three we have two skins per per licensee now which would you know we, we reported a bunch of this there's been there's ohio access deals some people had a third skin deal and those people are now probably scrambling to look for how they get into ohio should it come live so ohio which i don't know it was a it was a, a prohibitive favorite at one point to to legalize sports betting perhaps this year I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure we're pumping the brakes entirely, but it's it's been it's complicated for sure. And, you know, it, it then takes the window beyond, uh, you know, if they don't get it done this year, it makes it look much more complicated in 2021. Adam, I'm going to combine a couple of things here because I, I do want you to to kind of give your opinion on Ohio, because I mean, uh, obviously 
not only the positioning of Ohio with all the surrounding states that are that have that are getting online and, and already have sports betting, also the rabid, incredible fan base there. There's two different, uh, you know, two two different, you know, super super college football fans, super super pro football uh, football fans, and everything in between. So, uh, tons and tons of potential dollars there. And I do want to swing back to one thing you said a little bit earlier. You said that Virginia was not telling you guys who is actually applying for the licenses there in the state. And what's the insight into that? What are, what is the reasoning for that? So we'll start with Ohio and what's going on there. You're right. It is a potentially hugely lucrative market. And what we're really going to find out here when it comes to Ohio is how strong is the political will? Because a lot of this has been tied up for the last year or so in a fight between sponsors in different chambers as to who regulates Ohio sports betting. Well, do you want to get it done and find some sort of compromise on who the regulator is, or do you want to let it languish uh, and have to start this thing all over again when it comes to the next session? Remember, it's a two-year session in Ohio. So we started talking about this bill last year, kind of put it on pause, thought we'd get back to it this year, had the pandemic get in the way, and all of a sudden now we find ourselves with uh, with Greenspan out and trying to figure out what's going to happen next in the lame duck session. So that's Ohio. On the Virginia side, you know what? Uh, it appears that right now they're hiding behind the idea that they don't have to release uh, the information because it's an ongoing application process. I don't really get yeah, the cool. point. Yeah, I don't I understand why holding <laughs> why, why is holding that information back uh, at all advantageous? I, I mean, you would think that these companies would want their presence in the state to be known. Um, I don't know that there's some competitive advantage to not uh, knowing who it's going to be because there's going to be some lag time between the application being approved and companies being able to start up. It's not like anyone's going to get a head start at the line or anything like that. So very strange. Uh, I will say we are continuing to push via the legally available means that we have to find out who those applicants will be in Virginia but we still expect that that's an early 2021 start. Dustin, we know that Barstool Sportsbook has been open for a few weeks now. We uh, kind of followed how that all went. We take, took a look at their app. We, you and I both kind of went through it and said, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a decently, you know, it's a definitely a decent app. It certainly functions, looks good, like functions perfectly fine. I did like the little uh, slider thing that they had on there where you can basically, you know, we all know about alt lines and alt totals, but you basically have to go look those up if you want to do those. Instead, they say, do you want to change the line? And you can just slide it however you want to slide the total. I thought that's a pretty cool thing, especially for beginners, right? Who don't even have any idea about what alt totals and alt lines are, things like that make it super easy on them. So I, I did enjoy that part about the app, but you know, as, as we sit here, we have a little bit of a sample size with all of that. What is their parent? Well, their soon to be parent company in Penn national saying. Yeah. So Penn national had third quarter earnings uh, this past week and said, uh, yeah, basically said it, it, it Barstool is exceeding its expect internal expectations. So, uh, you know, they, they're not supposed to lie during these things. Mm -hmm. So I presume that is true as years, but you, you, when you're on an earnings call, you're talking to investors, you have to be telling the truth. So I take it that is probably true that they have exceeded expectations. Of course, those expectations are based on the launch of online sports betting in one state, basically, which is Pennsylvania. And we know they've done well in Pennsylvania uh, in the early days. They took $78 million in handles since launch. My back of the back of the envelope math puts them at, at clearly probably number three uh, behind DraftKings and FanDuel. And uh, that's, you know, that's a that's yeah. a pretty good starting point mm -hmm. if you're open at launching a launching a sports book. And if you can replicate that 
or exceed that everywhere where you launch, then then you really do have something, I think, there. So, um, you know, they, they also said that they plan to be everywhere where you can have online casino and, and online sports betting possible. They'll have that by the end of 2021. Obviously, earlier the better as you're trying to compete. But that is a, that is a lot. You have online uh, online casino in uh, New Jersey and Michigan, uh, Michigan on its way either later this year or early next. And uh, we have, you know, Penn does have an online casino already. Uh, I presume that means they're going to be bar- branding it Barstool uh, Casino as well in Pennsylvania. And then you have online sports betting, obviously, in a lot of states and an increasingly growing number of states. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're still basing a lot of Barstool on, 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 a, on a small sample size in Pennsylvania. But so yeah. far, that sample size looks Pretty, pretty and, I, and I think, like you said, is is the truth. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be number one to have a space in this industry, right? So, I mean, if you are, if you are, because uh, at this point, anybody at, uh, right now is battling to be the number three. I mean, we already know who the big two are and are going to be the big two in pretty much every market for the time being. Now, that's not to say that they cannot be taken over, but, you know, Adam, look, at the end of the day, we're... Uh, we're going to report on what we get and we're going to report on what was how things look. And we're not going to sit here and be biased about this. This is, this is, this is good news for, for, for Barstool. I think at the end of the day, because I mean, you're, if you can come in and be number three in some of these markets, and then maybe you start to do some sort of catch up along the way, there is a spot for more than two, more than just DraftKings and FanDuel, as we've said multiple times. Without question, there's going to be profitability for a number of operators in the long mm-hmm. term. But the question is, where is the fight for number one and two, really? And, and we know that FanDuel and DraftKings are out there nationally right now. It's nearly two thirds of the market. Um, they are blowing through a gigantic pile of marketing cash uh, to get to that point. And thus far, the first two and a half years of legal sports betting in the U.S. has been very sticky, as the analysts mm-hmm. like to say, right? People have not been bonus hunting. They have not been jumping between operators. That's not to say that it'll stay that way. Uh, you know, five years from now, we could be having a discussion saying we have no idea where mm-hmm. BetMGM, PointsBet, Rivers, uh, you know, or anyone else came from to become number two in the market. It does seem that FanDuel and DraftKings have a significant advantage uh, thus far, but that could change going forward. Barstool has executed a plan in Pennsylvania and kudos to them. And like Dustin said, yes, a lot of the information is coming from them. But like you said, when it's a matter of us just reporting the information. Sometimes we are just sort of putting a pin at a point on the map and saying, mm-hmm. okay, so in October, November, 2020, you told us you were here. And if you come back later a year from now and the results look significantly different, then we have the right to then say to you, mm-hmm. so what changed? Uh, that's just the way the the coverage works for, uh, for Barstool and for everybody else. And so we'll see. And, and Dustin, to put a kind of put a bow on this. I mean, you know, if your pin you, you you pretty much need Barstool to perform right now, right? I mean, we know tourism is down everywhere. People are not traveling. People are not going to casinos as often as they used to. And there's a lot of, of that going around. So, I mean, frankly, if you're pin, you're, uh, you're, yeah, not not banking on Barstool necessarily, but you certainly need them to be doing pretty well because uh, the other parts of the business, at least for, you know, I think conservative conservatively over the next year, if not two, is probably going to be down. Yeah. And I mean, we I mean, to, we're 
talking about stuff we've talked about before, but the value of Penn National right now is very much tied up in Barstool. Mm-hmm. It is not based on, you know, it's ba- based on Penn National's footprint and, and online gambling and sports betting. They have a, casinos in a lot of states. They have the license that they're going to get in all those states. Uh, you know, the, the valuation and the share price and, you know, in the last several days, the share price has gone back up after hitting some lows recently. Um, but yeah, Penn National is tied up in Barstool, even though it's only got a minority ownership of the, of uh, of the of the company and uh, they're obviously going to looks like they're going to move toward uh, having majority ownership over the next several years but yeah it's uh, yeah Penn National this, this is this is the world we live in you got to you know land based casinos mm-hmm. are going to continue to underperform in the short term with the with the pandemic and you know, online sports betting and online casino that's that's a great way we know it's happening in New Jersey and Pennsylvania that this is this is helping casinos make revenue that they would not otherwise get and uh, you really yeah Penn National, you know, they're selling that story and Barstool is a part of that. And Adam, take us home here. One that is, uh, you know, near and dear to you and I's heart, because uh, this was something that might lead to new players maybe getting involved in our home state here in Nevada in the market. Um, one of the big sticking points has always been that there is no remote sign up, no remote funding. Kind of there's there's a you can fund with kind of this little workaround and stuff like that here, but it's not just your typical like you can on any of the other apps in any of the other states. And so um, it looked like they were at least going to talk about this, but then maybe not. So it's encouraging to see at the very least that the Nevada Gaming Control Board is going to once again give consideration to the idea of allowing people not to have to drive to a casino and go to the sports book to sign up. This came about last week that we saw the hearing go on the calendar and then we saw the hearing come off the calendar. Not quite sure as to why yet, but this would be the third time in the last five years, uh, 2016 and 2018 previous attempts were made uh, that didn't ultimately go through and give it one more shot. And the difference this year, Matt, as you know, well, is that the pandemic and the casino shutdowns brought about a new era for the sports books where they couldn't get new customers mm-hmm. for a couple of months. They were doing drive throughs to get people to fund accounts and uh, and to cash tickets. It was, you know, necessity being the, the mother of invention for the Nevada sports books. And so when we talk about remote registration in Nevada, we know that MGM and Caesars and Wynn all want it. They have it everywhere else. They want it here as well. It has largely been two operators, Station and William Hill, who have been fighting it. William Hill has a huge retail presence, a number of deposit locations in bars and station, of course, is the locals based casinos that gets all of its uh, traffic based on the people who live here going to casinos in the neighborhood. So they want people Mm -hmm. in the door and they feel like that's their advantage when it comes to sports betting. So what, what will win out? Will it be the greater good of allowing everyone to have remote sign up and funding and be able to compete with the rest of the country? Or will the uh, will the interests of a few continue to outweigh the interests of the many? I think you could also look at September and say that when visitation to Las Vegas was still slow and hadn't really recovered yet and the NFL started and New Jersey put up $750 million in handle and Nevada didn't clear $600 million, that's another thing that probably should open some eyes in Nevada when it comes to mm-hmm. the ease of use of sports betting. And I wonder, and this is just speculation, but I do wonder if William Hill might change their tune 
as well because the one of the other things was is because they didn't have a strip presence right and then now with taking over these cg books they do have a strip presence and so getting getting kind of like their branding and all of that now is available on the strip it's not like they're competing with the big boys like that was kind of one of the things as well it's like oh well you know they're not on the strip and so everyone's just going to automatically flock to the big names well now if you walk in the venetian you see william hill now if you walk in the cosmopolitan you see william hill like i so i do wonder if maybe just a little bit they think that their you know competitive disadvantage isn't necessarily there as much anymore and you would think that they would want to maybe move into this this camp as well but again that's just that's just speculation i agree with you and i think that you keep in mind that of those two entities that i just mentioned station casinos is the far more politically powerful of the Mm -hmm. two and so it's going to take some sort of negotiation with stations. I don't know if that's going to be some sort of a grace period, right? Maybe you set it up to where they get six months or a year until it happens so they can adjust their business model and you're not doing it cold turkey. Uh, you know, maybe there's a, a cap. I, I don't know exactly how you might be able to do it, but uh, at some point for the greater good of Nevada, I hope that the gaming control board can see the light on remote registration and funding. Guys, uh, as always, please go in, subscribe, rate, and review. All the places that you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, really do appreciate that. Helps us climb the charts, helps more people find this podcast, and we can spread the good word of everything. Uh, You should definitely follow Dustin, at Dustin Galker on the Twitter machine. You should follow Adam, that is Adam, two E's on candy, no Y, over on the Twitter machine. And if you honestly honestly dislike yourself so much, at Matt Brown, M2, over on the Twitter as well, mainly bad sports takes. But, uh, you know, I'm here to entertain Uh, all the stuff that we talked about here on the podcast. You can find over at LegalSportsReport.com as well. So be sure. Great work going on over there by everybody. Dustin, Adam and their team getting things uh, up on the site. So really do go in, read these things in depth so that you can get uh, every little nook and cranny of what is going on. For Adam, for Dustin, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment, so you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last.